Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Uh, Danny, we're back for our 2021 Gov Actually wrap-up episode. And I have to say that whenever I hear it's a year in review or wrap-up, you know, year wrap-up episode, I generally skip through it. So what are we going to do to make sure our now expanded listener base, the, um, the, the infrastructure podcast, I have to say, it was a, I, I've heard from a variety of people, was a real hit. I happen to know that someone very well positioned in the infrastructure world listened to it, in fact. Oh, great. Well, I am the opposite of you. I love your recaps. In fact, in my house, it's a big day when when Spotify announces like you get to you get to see what your top, what your personal top songs were that you listened to yeah. for 20 for the year before. Um, and what your number one and number two songs were and what the podcast you listen to the most and all of that. I'm a sucker for like, what were the best movies? of What were the best shows? What were the biggest news stories of the year? Um, and so I love the idea of thinking through like, what was the big story in 2021? What will the, what will from a government angle, what would the big story be for this year? Um, so... Well, before, before we do that, because you've kind of triggered something with this whole music thing, you're old enough to remember albums and cassettes and CDs. And, and um, I remember a big debate with a friend about whether buying an artist's greatest hits album was, you know, a good idea or a total like cop out. Did, did you have a view on that? I did. It, for me... If I love the artist, this is such marketing and, and, and a reminder that music is an industry more than anything else. If the artist put a new track on it, a new song, like mm. I think, for example, I think like maybe Bruce released the greatest hits and put like the song Philadelphia on it or something, or, you know, Secret Garden or some song like that. It's like, well, now I got to go get the, the greatest hits because I need this extra song. You know, right. I would go and buy it, but it would have to be like one of my favorite bands. If it wasn't one of my favorite bands, I wasn't going to spend the 12 bucks for the songs I already had. Yeah. And this is um, and this is, you know, the year in review, which is kind of a greatest hits of the year. I have to say my view on the greatest hits album was why why would you buy a bunch of albums with something that are that aren't the greatest hits when you could just buy one that has all the greatest hits on it. Well, that's like a, that, that's a different, that's like, if I didn't, if I'm trying to get in, if I'm like semi-interested in a band, but not really, yeah. then I might just buy the greatest hits versus going through like, like journey. I, I don't think I need to hear the deep cuts from journey. I just need the greatest hits. Right. But there are other bands like Zeppelin where I want every single track that exists. So did anyone ever issue a lesser hits album? Like, that would be know. great. That would be yeah. like, well, there's a, there's a, I'm like, like, I'm like, I talked about Spotify, Sirius XM has like the deep tracks. Oh yeah. yeah. No, where is, cool. where that is essentially the lesser hits, like the songs that never broke through. Um, so. Um, All right. Well, well, now that we've, um, 
uh, hopefully entertain people enough. Maybe they'll stick around for the government greatest hits of 2021. By the way, my number one song I listened to in 2021 was the song Marathon by Rush, which is like, a you know, like so random, but there's something about the are message. You, are, you, are you a big Rush guy? That's it. That's my favorite band of all time. Uh, okay. We, we, uh, let's just keep this positive and going. Um, but anyway, I had a college roommate who is very, very much into Rush. And I'll just say that I very much wasn't. But yeah. recently I went, I, like two years ago, three years ago, when, whenever it was you could travel around like this, I went and saw him in Chicago specifically to go to a Rush concert as a sign of, you know, long-term appreciation and affection for his friendship. That's great. And I've, I went to Rush concerts with my son, which was like coming full circle, you know, and when they did their last tour. So all right, that's a whole different podcast. Uh, obviously. It exactly is. It, it but is. but anyway, yeah, back to government and the year in review. A year ago, okay, Donald Trump is still president, although he's you know you know it's uh, Biden in waiting. He's he's been he's been elected out. Trump has the vaccine, right? Um, you know, so he's gotten the shot. Uh, but but we're at a point in late December of or mid-December of, of 2020 where the vaccine is only available for, uh, you know, teachers, uh, people over 65, people with underlying conditions, first responders, um, hasn't been opened up. And, and at that point in time, you know, I think there was discussion of vaccine hesitancy and concern about that there would be segments of the community that would be uh, resistant to the vaccine. I don't think that there was clarity that it would be uh, drawn on political lines, that you'd see this thing where it's like 90 X percent of Democrats are fully vaccinated and 50 percent, uh, 50 X percent of Republicans are, are fully vaccinated. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm fleshing this out a bit is because I think one of the biggest stories of the year from the from the government standpoint is the fact that trust in government and 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 the government's role became the central issue in terms of whether people are getting vaccinated or not um and you know and and it's really uh unfortunate in, in my opinion because because I think, for many, many people, the government has become the antagonist versus the protagonist in the story of our battle against COVID in this pandemic. And I think that's super unfortunate because I think the government has been doing everything in its power, in its, in its authorities, in its effort to follow that true north that you and I always talk about to try to tackle the pandemic. And they've, they've never been perfect and they never are perfect. But I always felt throughout this journey that the government in everything it has done is tried to have the best answer in mind, which is let's beat this thing. So if you're the government and you're like, let's beat this thing, let's protect, let's build the economy, rebuild the economy, let's do all these things. And then you end up as the antagonist in the story. To me, that is the, to me, that's the biggest story of government in 2021 and something we need to really learn from and figure out how to how to prevent that 
and and change it going forward. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I I think it's a really interesting point, and it's a it's a difficult one to uh, unpack because there's so much now politics around it, and there's personality. So in the in the Gov Actually world, um, it's it's a it's a harder issue because you would think at some level, you know, a lot of the stuff has been working as as well as it possibly could. I mean, the fact that government came together with the private sector to um, develop vaccines at a rate that has never been seen before in human history um, is is really one of those. It's actually one of those amazing stories. The the biggest award winners at the Partnership for Public Service, Service to America medals were the, the two doctors whose, whose personal stories are so riveting, who, you know, who led the, the vaccine development work. So in a way, you know, underlying this disconnect, as you speak about this, this, this idea that, that there's this lack or diminished trust in government is actually some stories that actually should deeply enhance people's trust and faith, at least in public servants, if not the broader institutions of government. And, and, and what it tells me, it's interesting you bring up the Service for America Awards because, because and anyone who's listening could go online and watch the service for, it's not, you know, sometimes it's hard to get a ticket, that's true to the actual event. But then they post and the whole thing online. particularly harder this year because it was a very, very limited yeah. group as a COVID response. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. But, but, but you can watch it online. And I think it's interesting you bring it up because the way the awards work is they tell stories. They tell the story of this effort. You know, they, they show a video clip and you meet the winner. And the winner kind of walks you through like sitting in my office. It was 2004. We had just heard blah, 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 right? And so they draw you in to this story. And the stories usually have a similar beat or rhythm to them where it's like there's a situation that is super challenging and troubling and something that tugs on your heartstrings regardless of your politics. It's all, it's, 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 it's all based in, in humanity in doing something good for people, whether it's a... Um, you know, helping uh, people who don't have housing find housing, whether it's, um, you know, there was one, one this year on people that, on, on kids that were coming out of foster care and how you transition them. Um, there's things about how you help people that are suffering from diseases, medical advances. It's all about things that, that, would, that, that, that lift us up in our, in our common humanity, right? And then and then they moved to the, to the story of how they came together with their team to, uh, to address. And then it ends with, and here we are today in a better place and we've lifted society. We've, we, and, so, and so that story is told in a way that makes you feel good about what this person is doing with their government hat on, right? Now, juxtapose that with the story of vaccines and the pandemic. And it's and and you can you could tell the story the way I just told it, and we did at the and and the partnership for public service did. But if you take a step back and look at the way the story is being told throughout our media platforms, the mixture, the 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 mosaic of Fox News, CNN, 
uh, Twitter, The Atlantic, The Economist, the, you know, the Heritage Foundation, it all kind of comes together. And what you see based on the, the way in which there's a growing trust deficit in government is that the story is landing where the government in many people's eyes is not following a true north. All these conspiracy theories that of why Dr. Fauci is doing this or that. And so for me, there's a really interesting question, which is what role should government play in driving that narrative? Like, should, yeah, and, and it's just basic as, should they have a PR shot? So, so you gotta, you gotta be careful. Like if the government is, is playing a role in driving the narrative, when does it become propaganda? When does well, it- that is the, I don't know the answer to that. Like, maybe there is no role. Maybe, mm -hmm. and I'm open to that, that answer where maybe you just have to like, kind of let the media ecosystem or the information ecosystem determine the outcome. Just like let the market of information determine and you take a step back and you continue to just work hard. Um, right. Or do you lean in a little? Because you're right, if you lean in too much, then, then there's, a, there's a propaganda angle. Yeah, and I, I just going back to the Sammy's winners, Kismekia Corbett, Dr. Kismekia Corbett and Dr. Barney Graham were the federal employees of the year. They're the people who kind of led the team that developed the vaccines. She was an intern for him and then, you know, grew up within the, within the organization, become, you know, uh, uh, an incredible doctor in her own right, like the next leader of, of uh, uh, virology study for the, you know, for the government, maybe not the government, possibly the nation, you know, just, just a really brilliant story of, of this kind of internal um, growth within the broader organization in a way suggests that these institutions that we have are, you know, they're longstanding and highly valuable and, you know, um, create incredible outcomes. So the question is then perhaps how do we get more of those stories out? So the Partnership for Public Services is just one little kind of group within the context of this bigger sea of this issue, uh, to your point, kind of rowing against the tide of a narrative that I think is kind of easier to tell because people are looking, and I think it's reasonable for people to look for someone to blame, right? You know, where did this thing come from? How did this happen? How come we've lost uh, close to three quarters of a million Americans to this, you know, this illness. And in, in a way, it's asking the question, you know, where is the government in response to this? Yeah. Um, there, there's a, there's a, an interesting question that I have around from the citizen's perspective. Are you, are they forming their opinion on government, looking at like kind of the government as a whole, the federal government and, you know, the machinations of it and, or are they forming it at the local level? You know, so quick, quick side story. So, so we had a, so a few months ago, we had a little house fire here in my house, um, an election. <laughs> yeah. A quick story. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Sorry. But the point is, is like newsflash. So, newsflash. There was some, so some, so, and it was caused by um, the uh, squirrels uh, chewing through a ground wire, and uh, the house wasn't grounded. And when uh, when I turned on an appliance. It, 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 it blew and it wasn't, the house wasn't grounded. So fire department came, 
can I can I stop you for just a second? Yeah. You should Google squirrels and mayhem because the, everyone thinks that they're these wonderful little fuzzy creatures, but they're <laughs> actually they're actually they're they're busy. They're working against us. Why are I, I the squirrels why, the antagonist in America's stories? Exactly. I understand why my dogs are so offended by them. They they you know my dogs feel like they have to keep our house safe, and I'm like, why are you protecting us against squirrels? And and this story right here. Yes. As you want. yes. Well, well, very quickly, the fire department comes, they quickly figure out what's going on, or at least kind of understand that because it was electrical, the, the, you know, the power company in the county came out within an hour, like within actually within like 25 minutes, the trucks were there. So the county and the, and the, um, and the, the power company's like, yeah, your ground, your ground wires chewed through, it needs to be replaced. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh gosh, I'm not going to have like a, ha- a working house for a while. And like, well, when does that happen? Like, we're going to do it right now. I'm like, and I felt so good about that. In that moment, the way the fire department had a procedure and it executed and the, and the result was immediate. And within a few hours, the, we were back up and running and with, with, with exactly what to do and who to call to make sure that this didn't happen again and blah, blah, blah. The point is, is like in that moment, I had a very positive feeling about how the government was there to serve me in my moment of need versus like me sitting back and watching the news at night and seeing like, ah, this politician and, and all the waste and excess and the, you know, whatever it happens to be. And it's like, what is the right, what, what influences more your perception of government that moment when you're touched individually or what you see in the media ecosystem and the stories that you're told about, about the movement of government and more in the macro. And I think that the satisfying answer is yes. You know, I, I think when people are asked about their individual congressmen, they generally rate them very high. But when they're asked about Congress, they rate, generally rate it very low. It's that, it's that individual interaction, it's that personal level interaction against the bigger kind of amorphous broader entity and i think you know deep in our history we were you know this country was kind of founded with a deep skepticism about government and about power and i think we're still struggling with what's the right balance of that i think you've we you touched on a really interesting question i, I think we should take a break and i want to go back to the role of public relations in government and, and, you know, especially in a world in which the media landscape is changing, like almost Moore's law, like exponentially uh, with social media. And how do we, you know, how does the government like think through the, the, you know, because trust in government is central to government missions. Like if the, if the public doesn't trust the government, it's harder to do your job. And how do you fight mis- you know, wrong facts that are out there or narratives that are counter to you trying to do your mission. Um, and you brought up the, the word propaganda, like at some point there's, there needs to be a framework for how to think about uh, uh, thoughtful and appropriate uh, communication outreach to the public versus propaganda. So maybe we can pack, uh, unpack that a bit after the break. Sounds good. All right. Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. 
GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. All right, Danny, we're back from the break. Uh, both, uh, uh, both of us have recaffeinated. Um, so that's either a good or a bad thing. We'll find out. Um, but you had in mind as we, as we went off into the break, a global structure for how to communicate, um, how to communicate about government services in a way that, that increases trust. So I, I think everyone was waiting with bated breath to hear your your um, unified field theory you, here. You kind of you you shocked me a bit and surprised me a bit with your with your propaganda point, and that kind of made me. Oh, that was just me being glib. I I, had, I tried to do it just to create some tension here. Well, I want. I think we should spend the second part of the podcast kind of like unpacking since 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 we're we're in semi agreement that that the biggest story of. 2021 is 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 the trust deficit in government, um, and from my vantage point, the fact that the government is playing out in too many hearts and minds as the antagonist in the battle against COVID versus the protagonist. What role does does a government's communication strategy play in that? And you know, let, let's let's start thinking about different gradations or different areas in which um, the government promotes itself, like. Sometimes the government actually like does advertising, like on the Super Bowl, you know, it's like be all you can be. Like they yeah. recruit for the military, right? Or, you know, one of the most famous government ad campaigns was the Office of National Drug Control Policy. The this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. You know, that was an ad campaign. Um I, I remember the ads on the cartoons for government information with the address in Pueblo, Colorado. Oh, I don't know. Uh, now, ooh, you're older than me by like by like eight it, months, but you are older. And, than me. and it turns out that GSA runs the facility in Pueblo, Colorado. So I went and visited it. So it's oh, like wow. me coming to like government information mecca, and um, yeah. it wasn't quite what I was expecting. Um, but yeah. there's some very, very dedicated and hardworking people there who will mail out stuff to you. Yeah. But in other cases, like uh, uh, the, in public relations and, and every government agency has a, a public affairs division, you know, they're out there they're promoting the secretary's agenda, their successes, the, the things, you know, in some cases, the center of it is more on like, hey, check out this new online application that you can use. We're trying to go paperless, you know? And so it's actually related to, you know, a benefit, efficiency, this is going to be easier for the citizen, so it's very mission-directed. And frankly, in some cases, the press releases uh, feel a little bit more like, hey, we're really good at our jobs, you know, like, look at this great idea we had, um, and they're kind of promoting themselves. And right. so, and so no one's going to issue a press release about a mistake unless it's in response to yes, an IG report, right. and that's it. <laughs> uh, you, you and I have been there. Um, so, so I guess my question for you is, should we think about it uh, along a continuum where at some point you're promoting yourself in a way that, that, that gets beyond mission or starts to, to, to be for a purpose that's not you know, either truth-based or mission-based? And, um, and how does the, the, the goal or the objective of trying to build citizen trust 
fit into that spectrum? Like, is that fair, fairly within a mission set or a truth-based set? Well, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting point. I was just going to comment on as a fellow budget person, um, you know, anytime you saw like advertising expense, I don't know about you. I took a, a good, hard, long look at that and saying, I'm not sure that's the first dollar I'd want to spend the government money. Yeah. No, I, um, I actually, I actually, as an, as a budget examiner did end up reviewing some of the advertising dollars for some of the federal agencies like ONDCP. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's like a, is this the, what government should be doing? It's a good right. question. And then, and then it becomes a question like, well, where do those advertisement dollars go? Which media outlets get them? What's the message that's being carried? How does it go from just a broader message or be all you can be to isn't this administration great? So there's the big, there's the big concern that you slide from from messaging around a specific program or a, or or you know a particular government interest or need to becoming political, and I think that that's why people get very nervous about it. So I think that this but, but is the again. So I I have heard interviews with President Obama where he, in reflecting on his eight years of presidency, felt like that one of the performance gaps that they may have had is that they didn't get word out enough in terms of all the yeah, good things. I, 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 I never worked for an executive who felt like they had done enough of that. Okay. Right, or done that perfectly. And in many ways, I think the whole system is, is structured and designed to militate against doing it too, too well, because then it does has, have this risk of sliding into the world of propaganda. There, there are some historical examples where people were very good at, at that kind of communication. And, and those are generally scary examples. So, yeah, but then again, okay, so let me ask you this question. To, to, you know, so going back to the Service for America Awards, we all leave that event or after watching it online and we're like, more people should see this. Like we call it the yes. Oscars for government. You know, God knows how many people watch the Oscars, you know, 50 million, 100 million, who knows? But, you know, obviously- I, that, I think that number is probably declining, by the way. Okay, but a lot. A lot of people watch the Oscars, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, and if we should be so lucky to decline, to, to increase up to where it's yeah, declining, then yeah. the families would be. And, but, there, and, but so, so we are, but, it, but to tell the story of the mm -hmm. team that, um, that's been developing uh, vaccines for decades and because of that was ready to, um, to, for, for the pandemic in a way they otherwise wouldn't have been, to tell the story of the team that worked to uh, to, to help uh, youth transition uh, and, and avoid homelessness after foster care, to tell those stories, we all feel like more Americans should see those stories. And we're not thinking that of that as propaganda. Why? What, what, what is uh, different about that? Why, why do we all feel like, gosh, I wish every American could see these stories. Why do we not classify that as propaganda? Because I, you know, there might be some people who who would char characterize it as propaganda. As propaganda, that's the that's the concern. Um, maybe some people see the whole Sammies as a giant <laughs> propaganda exercise. So then, you know, that's that's why I said the word was glib. You know, um, because if you're just missing, if you're just disinclined to be supportive of the idea that 
this collective work called the government has value and, and is something to be supported and trusted, then you know, you're gonna find the Sammies to be at some level um, offensive. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think, you know, it's an interesting, we, we were watching a chunk of Close Encounters for the, of the Third Kind. I was with my dad this last weekend and we were just looking for something to watch and we ran into Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, uh, one of the movies that I would have to say, I, I, you know, I don't think really has stood up well you know, okay. uh, over time. Um, but in, in that movie, uh, the government, quote unquote, um, was a, again, kind of an enemy. It was yep. being dishonest to the surrounding community. It wasn't telling people what was going on. It was hiding and obfuscating. And I'm afraid that that's the plot of many, many movies because it is this big, powerful, amorphous, you know, thing that you can blame big, powerful, amorphous things on. Yeah. And so, um, really good I, point because there are I, movies I, where the government is clearly lined up as the protagonist. But I just so happened to rewatch Arrival in the last few days, uh, which is mm -hmm. kind of like a the modern day Close Encounter. Yeah, and yeah, I mean the government is like, you know, is seen as like wanting to move too quickly and impatient and and ready to ready to to go to to uh, to attack. The alien ship that has landed while the scientists and the educators are trying to take a more patient view and they're played off as the protagonists in the movie. Yeah, and I, I think part of the issue is this notion, and this is something we try to unpack often on this show, is this notion of the government. You know, it's, it's actually a, a, a kind of a constellation of agencies filled with, you know, um, literally millions of people um, doing a vast variety of different things. Um, I, I had the, I had a different experience with the fire department. My brother, you know, is a fireman in San Francisco. So with a colleague and his six-year-old son, we got to visit a firehouse when I was there uh, last week. And um, just the, the interest and affection and engagement between those firefighters and this six-year-old boy who was, you know, you know, this was this was the lottery and Christmas and birthday all wrapped into one for this kid. Um, it, it just, you know, it drove home the fact that I think at, at a fundamental level, people do really, you know, love, admire, trust, and respect their retail public servants. And yeah. at uh, another level, they are skeptical and concerned and, um, you know, maybe untrusting of the bigger, broader thing known as government. And maybe holding those two ideas in our hands at the same time, which seem antithetical, might be actually the world in which we live. And so the trick then might be to tell more stories about um, uh, Dr. Corbett and Graham and uh, hopefully crowd out, you know, take over some of the time from the the stories of, you know, um, conspiracy and whatnot. Yeah, I think you're touching on something about the, the, the Service for America Awards. One is it's they're humanizing, right? They humanize government. It's like, right. it's not just a big building with columns. It's, um, there are people. Uh, and once you get to know these people, you're going to like them because they're, they're hardworking and they're, and they're, and they're honest and they're, 
uh, fighting for a good outcome um, and, and spending their time on something bigger than themselves. And, so, and, and I would take anything that Dr. Corbett's and Corbett and Graham cooked up. I mean, you meet those folks and you're like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> These are very, very, very smart, committed people. The other dimension besides human humanizing government, um, and maybe this is coming at it from a different angle, is education. Like it's it to me, it's it's not propaganda, or it's it's going down a safer path if you're in the mindset we need to educate the public about, like almost from a civic standpoint, about the role that government plays and and what the um the impacts are of pulling the government away, divesting in it, not having the right training, um, and the benefits that can have from, from investing more. Like, so if you give more training, more resource to the government, this is the potential outcome that can happen, which you're gonna like. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a positive outcome. You're gonna have a safer school, a safer street, uh, a safer food. Um, you're gonna you know, have less homelessness. Um, you know, uh, and, and there's, a, there's an education component to that. And if it's done objectively, fact-based, evidence-based, then I think you're protected from it being just like, a, you know, a, a propaganda where we're just trying to frame the issue in the most positive possible light. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, education and questions about uh, curricula and who controls it and what's in it is actually a very, very, very current political subject. And it's one of, again, yeah. another issue where you wanna have a local manifestation of questions of trust in government, you know, wade into issues of um, public school curricula right now. Um, and so, again, I think, you know, the challenge you have is, well, who, who's gonna lead that quote unquote education, what level is it gonna be delivered and how willing will local communities uh, be to have anything you know, of the sort delivered? I, I'm on the board of a, a active civics um, nonprofit. Yeah. And, and active civics is, is simply a, a process by which students and teachers come together to try to you know, actually experience what participation in government is like. This, this should be, and maybe I'm being naive, it should be perceived as a, as a, as a pure good. But there are some people who are very, very, very concerned and upset about active civics. Well, I didn't say we're gonna get, we're gonna win the hearts and minds of, uh, of everyone, right? It's kind of like, <laughs> they're, they're, well, that's, yeah. it's, it's incremental, it's trends, it's like, there's no, you know, you, you, you take you take steps back, you take steps forward. We've talked a lot about that um, uh, on this podcast. You know, hopefully you're taking more steps forward than you are taking steps back and you're trying to advance higher performing government um, and uh, and better outcomes for for the public. Um, and and I guess the question is is how do we the, my sense is that in 2021 we trended, negatively we trend we were on the wrong trend in terms of the way the public perceives the government and i think right. i think a lot of that has to do with what's in the information marketplace and the way in which the information marketplace today is different and and in my opinion more complicated than it was 15 or 20 years ago and i don't think the government itself has forget about how to regulate it 
I'm not even talking about that. I'm like, how to participate in it. How does the mm -hmm. government effectively participate in the information marketplace in a way that's not propaganda, but that is, it humanizes government, as we said, educates the, the public so that the atmosphere here is uh, constantly being better balanced than we see it today. Um, and I don't think we've, I, I haven't heard, have not heard the government or the administration or others like calibrate, we, we need an information strategy. I've heard presidents reflect, oh, I wish I had a better information strategy to tout all the positive right, benefits right, right. that we've had. But maybe there needs to be an information strategy in terms of how to create perceptions of government and the work that they're doing in a way that's, again, more humanizing how to, and, 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 again, more educational. And in educational, it, it, it may be important to point out where the government has failed and succeeded, you know, so that you're coming at it from a more objective place versus right. like, you, I, I your audience over that way. I think, I think you're right. I think that one way to develop trust is to admit mistakes and, and identify errors. That's a very, uh, that's, that's uh, in short supply in politics, in my, in my experience, uh, a willingness to do that. Um, I do think, though, there are some tools from, you know, the, the, the brand world, things like net promoter scores, ideas like broader storytelling, um, things about even thinking about what is the, the agency's brand, which I think should be rooted in really thoughtful understanding of what the agency's mission is. Um, and some of the work, you know, I, I had uh, the opportunity to do in some of the agencies I worked in we started with those kind of fundamental or existential questions of what does this agency do? What is our actual mission? And from that build a better kind of internal and hopefully external kind of brand identity to kind of create some understanding, better understanding of the public. And I think through understanding comes eventually trust. That's how trust is earned. Yeah, I like, and I think, you know, a, a kind of a closing thought here, um, you know, maybe something for OPM to think about. Uh, there, there are many government employees with amazing stories to tell. You know, maybe we, we deploy them to, to, to civics classes, to high schools, to the auditoriums, to tell their stories, to get, you know, almost as a recruiting thing, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, what does a life in public service look like? And what is, what's the journey and the impact I've been able to have? What are the hills I've had to climb as a, as a public servant in, in government? Um, maybe there's uh, TED talks that can be done that are that are government focused to get more kind of like the 10 minute version of the situation, the action and the result of um, of my role in Deepwater Horizon, my role in Katrina, my role in um, in, in in the debt limit crisis, you know, things like that, you know, and, and start to kind of break it down and humanize. I mean, there's, you know, these seem to be like low cost, potentially, like potentially high reward, low risk things that can be done if they're done well, um, that seem in a safe space, not, not to be kind of like a propaganda on, because, because they would be, they would be every administration going forward would have this kind of like, you know, the, remember the videos, like, uh, I'm just a bill, I'm only a bill and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill, like, you know, yeah, yeah. 
Schoolhouse Rock. Schoolhouse Rock, exactly. Maybe we need a little bit of that for uh, in the modern world. Schoolhouse Rock TikTok. There you go. Schoolhouse. Yeah. I mean, we, this is a whole other idea. Maybe we need to get, uh, and I feel like OPM, like that would be a fun initiative for them, you know, to get to get behind. Maybe they're not the right agency or not, but I, something tells me they might be. And that would be, that would be a cool thing for, for an organization like that to get its hands around. Well, um, while people are waiting for Danny to convince OPM to start Schoolhouse Rock TikTok, they can go to uh, the service to americamedals.org slash honorees and see the stories of some of these incredible public servants. Click on any one of the boxes. You'll be impressed with every one of them. Uh, Danny, I've had a great year with you. I mean, I don't think we've done as many of these as we wanted to this year for whatever reason. I feel I have 2022 New Year's resolution coming I, up. That was what I was going to say. I was like, that would be my New Year's resolution is try to get on a, a continue to get on a better rhythm with this, um, uh, find some more guests. I think we have to have a communications person come and tell us what the challenges are, how they navigate those challenges of trying to get the word out without being propagandistic within the context of um, complicated politics. Because, um, you know, in, in the way the, the, the politics work, sometimes people have incentives for, for that message not to get out. They, they, they aren't interested in the success of, of one administration's government versus another. Yeah, and I, I also would love, there's some, there's some like dream guests that I've always wanted to have on the podcast. I mean, like someone like Michael Lewis who wrote The Fifth Risk, like people okay. like that. And we should try to like get a few government A-listers, if you will. In All right. Oh, so you're saying we got to take it up a notch. Okay. Yeah, government. Enough, enough of these, you interviewing me or the other way around. Um, it's, it's all right. 2022 is going to be the, the year of the A-list. Fair enough. Yeah, there you go. All right, Dan. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure working with you this past year. I look forward and, uh, to next year and I hope you and, and everyone who's part of our, our government family, um, uh, who listens and who we interact with and, uh, has a great holiday and a, and a, and a healthy one, um, and a, and a great new year. I agreed. Thanks everyone. Take care, Danny. Bye-bye.